Hello and welcome to the Three Skinners. My name is JJ. And my name is David. And we are also missing our third member tonight, uh, Isaac. He's on his holidays at the minute. So I'm sure he'd say hello in his wacky, normal way. But instead of Isaac, we have got a very, very special guest tonight. We have got the one and only Mr. Dwayne Fraser. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Dwayne Fraser. Uh, he is a Wild Guru Kaba uh, and Bindajara, Bindajara traditional owner. Oh, and I can't a, wait until he corrects this. <laughs> <laughs> and has extensive experience advising Commonwealth and state governments on matters relating to Indigenous affairs and environmental policy. Mr. Fraser enjoys a diverse national and global network that includes high-level influencers, current and ex-politicians from both major parties, senior executives, and grassroots communities. He uses his profile to create positive change and impact to ensure traditional owners are given the opportunity for full and effective participation and leadership roles at all levels of decision-making in political economy economic and public economic. life economic yep. thank you mr fraser has presented at numerous in the international fora on the advancement of indigenous peoples of the world and their empowerment in the protection and safeguarding of their delicate biocultural land and seascapes heritage and cultural expressions Currently chair the federal minister for the environment's indigenous advisory committee also known as the IAC. Mr. Fraser serves on several high-level boards, including the Great Barrier Reef, Marine Park Authority, elected councillor of the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island Studies, and more recently, Tourism and Events Queensland, to name a few. Welcome, Mr. Fraser. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, JJ. <laughs> 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 uh, and uh, just for, for, for the record, Wagarukabara and Bijara, but that's fine, mate. We'll, we'll forgive you because we'll you're from England. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, do you know what? I get, uh, yeah, no, JJ and, and Isaac give me a lot harder time for just talking normally. For just, anyway, for just so. existing, most yeah. things. Um, <laughs> mate, it, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Um, it is, we've talked about you a few times. It's, I've, I've been very excited to get you on and I know the lads have as well. Yeah. So Dwayne's a very good friend of ours. We have spent many a weekend together and uh, it, it's mental to think about how much you've achieved in life compared to anyone else that I know. But <laughs> those titles are obscene. Um, but that's what we're going to get into later on. Um, just everything that you're about because Dwayne, we've said on uh, this before, I said it, I, I, anyone that I meet and like, tell them when I tell them about you, you're one of the most interesting uh, and diverse people that I know, but also one of the nicest and kindest men I've ever met in my life. Um, and I think I'm very much looking forward to getting to that. But before we do that, before we do that, how good it's are exciting. you at dancing, Dwayne? How good are you at dancing? I know this answer. I mean, I'm to twerk, yeah. Yeah, you have. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> To get on the beers. Rapidly get on the beers. That's just the duty. That's what must be done. And that's what must be done. Beers. 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 Get on the beers. 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 And that's what must be done. Oh, wow. Right. I mean, that's my exercise for today. Exhilarating. I'll just close my breath. 
I've just closed a ring on my Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what we do every week, uh, Dwayne, is that we go through and see what everyone's drinking. Since you're the guest, you can go first. What have you got? Cheers. Well, I know the tradition generally is to have a beer, uh, although I am Dwayne Fraser and I am on Magna Collin, so I'll be having a margarita. Oh, <laughs> he loves Very some. lovely. Uh, uh, what have you got, Dave? So I've got a lovely little beer from a brewery called Green Beacon who are located in Brisbane. We've just done an event recently uh, down at the bar, which was a tap takeover. So I've got Green Beacon, uh, it was backwards there, but it is actually <clears throat> Windjammer Indian Pale Ale. So it's an IPA. Uh, I've had it already. It's pretty nice. So I'm going to talk into that one. Very good beer. Check out, if you're a beer enthusiast, check out Green Beacon. They're a very good brewery. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, I went for my usual Carlton draft this week. Thank goodness. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's another desperado. Thank hey. you. So just so you know, Dwayne, he's been doing this joke for well, it's over a year now because we over had our birthday <laughs> episode the other day. So he pretends that he hasn't got any desperados. Uh, then he magically pulls one out, and it's just hilarious. Every <laughs> time we record, I can see how you find that hilarious, though. Yes, yes yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm understanding the threshold at... of comedy that exists within your body. I can see <laughs> you continuously find that funny. Yeah. Splitting at the sides, some would say. So, yeah, that's uh, JJ's sense of humor. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know why you're why you're being like that, Dave. I mean, <laughs> let's let's be honest, right? It's better than than uh, most things that we do. I love, I love pulling out the desperado, and everyone's just like, right. It's a good moment. It's a good moment to have. You just and the desperado's moment's great, and I will never let it go. He anyway. also he also just <laughs> we also discovered he had a soundboard in the last episode, <laughs> which was great fun. Anywho, between. between. <laughs> Um, I've known you for uh, um, well, Dave is also. Oh, uh, cheers! First of all, yeah, boys. Cheers. Cheers. Yep, cheers. Sorry about that. Now. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Mm. I've known you for a couple of years now. Um, you're an absolutely amazing young man. Um, so I, I know you from St Kilda, but you're not from St Kilda, are you? No, I'm not. No, no, you're not. Where, where are you from? So uh, my. My mother's family are from North Queensland, where I grew up on Magnetic Island, which for those of you who don't know, is a little tropical island just off Townsville inside the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, but I was born in Alice Springs um, in the Northern Territory and spent the first couple of years of my childhood in a place called Tennant Creek, which is about 560 kilometres north of Alice Springs um, and kind of in the middle of the desert and a long way from anything um, that has any level of progress. Hmm. Lovely. Yep. And, and uh, when did you end up going across to, to <clears throat> Magnetic, which is where so, Dave lives now? Yeah, which it is. Dave. And, you know, although I didn't consent to him moving here, he's still here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, so my mum, uh, strangely, was visiting the Northern Territory where my grandmother was working at the time in Tenet. She, my, my nana was a health administrator and she was the CEO of a, an Aboriginal organisation called uh, Anyaningi. And Anyaningi is a pretty big health service in Central Australia. It's still operational. It's been going for quite a while. Nana was the uh, inaugural CEO there. So mum was over there for school holidays, I believe, uh, met the strapping young man who looks like me but older, um, uh, Dwayne Fraser Senior, and they fell in love. They produced 
myself. Um, three years later, although they're quite young, decided that the relationship wasn't working. My mother moved back to her mother's country here in Queensland. So probably uh, I was three, so 20 years ago. Nice. And, and, and I've, I've not had the pleasure of, of going to Magnetic Island yet. Um, hopefully I get your permission to go there. Uh, but if and, not, I know the back ways. And, <laughs> <you need to know. laughs> We're an island. There's no one way, mate. <laughs> I don't know. It depends how good you are digging from Alaska. Um, but, um, yeah, Dave and everyone, everyone that's been there tells me it's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's somewhere that everyone has to go. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Out of curiosity, Dwayne, what is the traditional name for Magnetic Island? So uh, our people call Maggie Island Yumbinen. Yumbinen. Okay. Yumbinen. Yeah, it's a place name. And do, <laughs> does, that, does that have like a meaning behind it? Is there, does it mean anything or? Uh, it's, it, it's, it, it's, 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 it's the place. It's the place. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Cool. Um, and you, you mentioned your mum. You, you and your mum, I know that unfortunately your mum's passed away now. You, I've never heard in my life anyone speak about their mum the way that you speak about your mum. And it is just, it's the most wholesome and pure thing I've ever heard in my whole life. She seemed like an amazing woman. I never got to meet her, but everything that you've told me about her seems like, you know, I missed out. I really did. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your mum then? Sure. And yeah, we are, we're almost 12 months, uh, October 12, she passed, uh, last year. So, uh, essentially, and we'll probably get into it a little bit later when we talk a bit more about my work. Uh, I got into this space because my mother had carved, uh, within the Australian political landscape, uh, a space for Indigenous Australians to speak and advocate for, for their country, for their place. Um, for example, Wagarikabar, Townsville, Magnanagol and, uh, and, and many others all over the country. Um, she was the product of two, uh, you know, kind of well-established community leaders in, in her parents uh, who at a very young age realised that she had a, a calling to, to dedicate her life to the protection and conservation of uh, both our land and, and our culture. Um, and she did that quite selfishly. Like I, she raised me for the most part as a single mother um, later meeting my stepfather and producing two beautiful children in my, my siblings. Um, and work was very much a part of who she was. Uh, and she gave her time to, to anyone who needed it, uh, mentored many, uh, uh, you know, changed the mindsets of those who thought not, their minds would never be changed, including pretty hardcore conservatives in Australia. Um, so she was a, an incredible human being who uh, not just influenced my life, but... Um, Gave her time and dedication, you know, dedicated her time to uh, to creating a better outcome for for everyone. That's inspirational. I mean, that's that just sounds lovely, and, <clears throat> and obviously, you followed in her footsteps, and you've now ended up on a few boards. A few, I think, a few boards is um, putting it lightly. I reckon. <laughs> Which, um, which most recently was the tourism and events for Queensland. I mean, that's pretty big. Pretty big deal, pretty big job as well, given the current circumstances. But you know, all all roads have led to this path. How did you? Obviously, your mother was a big inspiration. But how does <clears throat> man of your stature find yourself headed? It's not a path many people head down, you know. When you've became pretty established in what you do, so how mm. how did the road take you to where you are now? 
Look, I'll, I'll be honest, I, growing up in the house of an environmentalist, um, a black environmentalist at that, which automatically makes them more practical and better looking, the, <laughs> I, I never wanted to work in the environment space. Right from the beginning, I made it very clear that my path was either in the defence force or be, I was going to become a merchant banker. Uh, I wanted to be rich with lots of houses and extra cars. Uh, it didn't work out that way. I'm a poor environmentalist, uh, black, <laughs> of course, because that makes it more effective and better looking. <laughs> um, I, I, I realised pretty early that there was no way I was avoiding what was destined to be my career um, and it's more of a lifestyle than anything uh, I do um, you, you, you go down this path because you see that there is a, a gap in, in the community uh, that requires someone to dedicate their time to working uh, towards resolving particular issues um, when you grow up on the Great Barrier Reef uh, you, you see at times degradation of coral cover, the declining reef health, and you think I need to do something about protecting my country um, and, in, and, and in so also protecting my people's spiritual relationship with, with the reef. So I, I kind of accepted that I was destined to go down that path and, and, and did so. I find, I find that something fascinating with the First Nation community of Australia. As I was traveling around Australia, uh, I did a road trip from Melbourne to Perth. And obviously you encounter a lot of the history along the way. Uh, I went to uh, Aboriginal sites and stuff like that. And the connection that the First Nation people have with the land is... It's pretty. It's pretty eye opening. It's not something I've seen before coming from England and all that. And even like the painting you've got, which I'm actually interested to talk about. But the painting you've got behind you, you know, that sort of artwork and that <coughs> is stuff I've found as I travelled across Australia. Um, and I remember going to like this cave system, and they talked about the Aboriginal history of this cave system and they go there to, and it was very like almost sham, shamanistic in a way. They it was talking about the spirits, the water, the stuff like that. It was, it was pretty inspirational versus growing up in England where we don't really have anything like that. So I just found it fascinating that the connection that first nations in Australia have with the land and, Obviously, I imagine, you know, the paintings and stuff like that, there's some sort of connection there. Um, so, I mean, there's a few things that I should probably point out to begin with. We are, we are talking about uh, a population of people who were isolated in one landscape for close to 80,000 years. So for when, when a, uh, a civilization spend that long in one place, their understanding of that particular landscape the biodiversity that exists there, the flora, fauna, and so on and so forth, um, you're, you're bound to develop an understanding of that particular place. But what is interesting, though, is most people kind of look at Indigenous culture and Indigenous society as hunter-gatherers. Well, um, in recent times, uh, the research and evidence suggests that actually the systems that Indigenous Australians use to manage and interact with land were quite complex. Uh, there was agriculture, aquaculture, these kind of industries that existed. <clears throat> but um, what, what didn't occur, like it happens in, in other countries, developed places like England, we didn't industrialise systems to expand populations. There was, there was a, an understanding 
um, for, for a long time that our relationship to place had to be one that was sustainable uh, and one that was in harmony and, and not separate from the environment. I think that's probably an important point to make. This painting behind me is a, a landscape painting, an aerial view in the eyes of the artist. So um, the particular artist who's now passed, so I won't say uh, their name, um, painted from their vision what their country looked like. Waterholes, walking tracks, eating areas, uh, river systems. So if you were to look at that painting, you would potentially use that as a map if you had an understanding of the landscape. Oh, wow. That's, that is that's... crazy. But what, what I find a lot with this <clears throat> art, which I find fascinating, is the colours that they use as well. It's all yeah. these real earthy tones and stuff so, like that. So this, this is very much not a traditional um, collection of uh, paints, right? But the, um, the, the artist in a contemporary context has used paint, paints that for her um, kind of capture the, the landscape that she's painting. Traditionally, you're right, there would be very um, solid whites, browns, oranges, yellows, um, things that come from ochre, which is a, a rock that if you break down and water turns into a paste, which therefore becomes paint. I was about to ask that, like, did these, these like, the beginnings of the art in, in these cultures that came from <clears> obviously <throat> sourcing it from the land, so that's why. I don't yeah. imagine you would get many blues then. Blue would be a really hard colour to come by. No, no, you wouldn't get much blues, unless you ate a lot of blueberries and passed blueberries for <laughs> I mean, I knew it would be uh, useful for something, and that would yeah, be Yeah, although, although I, don't, I don't think that uh, you would find many blueberries natively in Australia. No, the, no. <laughs> the, I mean, um, if you go to, so these are acrylic paints, by the way, you can tell uh, because it's quite modern, but if you go to uh, caves, some, you, Dave, you referred to some of them in your travel, and you see paintings on the wall, those paintings are done with uh, a, a rock that they've turned into a powder that they've added yeah. paste to put on the wall. And some of them are 16,000 plus years, some of them closer to 30,000 years old. Uh, and by the way, if we look at modern um, societies, uh, if you, um, for example, England, uh, and we think about timelines, um, I reckon Indigenous Australia probably have longer um, bowel movements than England has history. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's probably fair as well. Uh, but that, I found that fascinating when I was looking at this sort of art and there I was, like, I was literally, what as you described, in the middle of the desert and I'm going to these old cave systems and whatnot. And, you know, you're seeing this art and it was all protected and stuff like that. But you knew you were looking at something. It's not your bog standard tourist attraction. You're looking at something pretty... Pretty spectacular. Um, and and can you a, imagine if the, the case was that those paintings were done by the equivalent of today's graffiti artist? Like it was just some guy running up and painting on a wall and running away, and so he got into trouble for it. And yet, <laughs> <laughs> thousands of years later, we're like genius, absolute genius. Uh, yeah. <laughs> although, although I think that the the consequence of rebellious behaviour back in um, you know more than one hundred and seventy eight two hundred years ago. Uh, was probably a little bit harsher than that of a fine for graffiti. Although, yeah, I reckon uh, so. <laughs> most of those, most of the cave uh, rock art are, are quite considered pieces of art, and generally, yeah. um, only you know, generally particular members of community would give consent for those things to occur. So, they, uh, so they would actually commission it to happen. Oh, in some way, yeah. So, if you wow. just north of here in a particular range uh, on someone else's 
country, not my, not my people's country. There is a there is a burial site, and inside, so that the remains are placed in a cave, um, a very sh- uh, narrow and um, cave, but a cave in its own right. The on the surface of that cave, about a meter and a half, because you've got to crawl in there. There are um, paintings of shields, um, shields that would have been uh, kind of identifiers of that particular person. And below the shield is where the person is buried. It's like a tombstone. Oh. So how, I imagine that the cave would have been dark. How would they have got light <clears throat> to do that? Uh, so it's it's kind of, no, there's reasonable light in there. Um, okay. Because the, the front end is quite open um, and the you just crawl in and then you kind of look back over, yeah. over a dancing field. But yeah, the, uh, that's just an example of how a lot of those paintings are considered. And in some parts of Australia, in, you'll find uh, rock art that depicts uh, tall ships with large flag, uh, large sails passing wow. by. Wow. So that, that went back to like the, the Dutch and the English and all that, yeah. Mm. So, it, so in the we would have put a big circle and a line for saying, you know, cancel culture, but it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> if, if only Indigenous Australia figured out how to use, how to make muskets a little bit earlier. <laughs> a little bit earlier. That's we reprioritised our attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, only, only go there, sorry. Oh, I was just interested in learning more about Magnetic Islands and obviously um, you, you said, you know, obviously belong to the tribe. Is it is Townsville considered as part of that land or is that a different tribe? Because Townsville's is. about 20, well, it's 15 minutes on a ferry, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So as as the borders, well, look, the uh, first point, Wagarukaba, the, the name of our people, directly translates to saltwater canoe people. <clears throat> it's in the name. So our transport, it's be like you would be Dave person of the bike, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't David, drive. person, David, of, person the of the scouser. <laughs> Belongs uh, to we, his we of Stephen Cherard. <laughs> <laughs> we, would, we would make and sail canoes. I mean, the uh, our, our border, as it stands, is from Rolling Stone Creek, which is just north of us, uh, down to Ross River and out to the shelf of um, the, the Great Barrier and beyond. And noting that Maggie Island now is the largest island in, in kind of in our country. However, if you go back 10,000 years ago before water, the sea levels rose, the the shelf was much further out before the reef even existed. The reef's only about 10,000 years old. Um, where the shelf was, there was a drop. And in between uh, there, Palm Island and here, were about 300 more islands uh, that are now underwater. Um, so our people lived on the land where the reef is now. And as the water rose, we moved further inland to, to Maggie and Townsville. So, so let's talk about that because I find this absolutely fascinating. It's a place I'd like to see. Um, I don't know. But neighbouring to Magnetic <laughs> Island is Palm, Palm Island, isn't it? And through my understanding, that's predominantly an Aboriginal community island. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, How I'd far say- away... Sorry. It's about two hours on the on the ferry. It's or about twenty minutes if you fly. The Palm Island's about I would say it's ninety eight plus percent indigenous, um, mainly black women live there. So our, our neighbouring tribe, the Munra people, are the traditional owners of Palm Island. Uh, Palm Island's got a pretty complex history though. The 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 state government under the Aborigines Aborigines Protection Act used Palm Island as a penal colony. Uh, and any tribal blacks or blacks who occupied land that the state wished to use for strategic purposes 
would be removed and sent to Palm Island. Um, so there's actually a, although there is one traditional owner group who, whose country um, uh, includes Palm, they, there are like 27 plus, maybe more, and I've, I've, it's more than that, I've pulled that number out of, out of the air, language groups that exist on Palm, uh, and they refer to themselves as the Bookerman people, which um, uh, you know, is a reference to the island. That's crazy. It is fascinating, and I didn't actually know that Magnetic Island was one of the biggest islands in Australia. I've only just learned that now, which is fascinating. Uh, biggest islands in Australia? Did you say yeah. that's... Biggest island on our country, in Wagaruka land. Oh, sorry, I mis- misunderstood. I mean, I mean surely, surely that's Tasmania. That would be probably the main Surely that's Australia. Yeah. Um, but get... get Let's go back a little bit to where Dave said you're now on the board of uh, the tourism uh, board, sorry, of uh, Queensland. Mm. What does that entail? Tell me more. Because I imagine there's going to be very soon a lot of people trying to come into Australia very, very shortly. How is that going to affect you? Uh, Well, any spare time that I think I had would probably be consumed by that process. The So uh, tourism events... Queensland is an independent body. Uh, it's a government entity created to guide and um, promote Queensland's tourism and event space. Really, it's in the title. Um, the, the state minister appointed me to to the board of that organisation only a few months ago, um, with with the mandate to support the sector to, to uh, get them out of you know the the pandemic and the crisis that we sit in at the moment, um, with a focus on reef tourism. Uh, although Without a doubt, we um, I'll be required to provide support to, to, to move not just reef tourism, the sector as, uh, as, as a whole, but also uh, a cast and look at what the tourism industry looks like after COVID-19 and how Indigenous Australia can be involved uh, in that sector at a rate that's you know, increased from where it is now, which is not, not great. Uh, there are considered efforts, but it's not great. <clears throat> but let's, let's just discuss that topic that you bring up is like, reef tourism what does that actually entail because from my understanding the reef's not in the best shape it's in a bit of trouble is that you know obviously that's what's going on in the world and everything but is it does tourism contribute so does it damage the reef how how is reef tourism operated in a safe uh, practical yeah. manner? i mean I, that's a that's a complex question i can give it give it a red or crack <clears throat> the the reef tourism space interact and access probably about 3% of the reef as, as, as a whole. Uh, and most of that tourism, um, about 80% of it, visit only about 1% of the reef. Oh, right. wow. So the tourism itself is a minor impact on reef health. There are far larger impacts, and we could touch on them later, uh, including your comment around whether the, the reef is doing well or not. Provided some recent data on that. <clears throat> yeah, I'd be fascinated reef, on that. I will be yeah, happy because... and So, I mean, uh, reef tourism brings to the Queensland economy about $6.6 billion per year uh, and it employs close to 68,000 people. Um, so, it, it is a major contributor to the Queensland economy. Um, but more than that, in terms of reef understanding uh, and the understanding of, of you know, management tools and what we need to do to protect the reef. Reef tourism is the number one tool for educating the public, uh, not just domestically, but internationally. And of course, you know, 
given the border restrictions at the moment, international tourism is an issue. But domestic tourism and Queenslanders visiting Queensland uh, is on the rise. Uh, and this is a good thing for, for everyone. And that's a, that's a thing that people won't understand because uh, we've got quite a lot of listeners from the UK. And they won't understand because no one really in the UK goes on holiday within their own country because it's so yeah. small. Like It's so small. Um, it's 400 <clears throat> miles from Glasgow to London. You know, I think the whole stretch is like 650 miles from top to toe or something like that. Yeah. Um, it might be bigger than that. That's just a number I've pulled. Um, <laughs> Queensland, though, it's mm-hmm. huge. It's massive. Like... Well, I'll give you an example, JJ. The, let's just look at the reef itself and the reef footprint. The Great Barrier Reef is about 2,500 kilometres long. <laughs> it's, in terms of the, the, the World Heritage Area, um, if we put it into something that Brits would understand, and by the way, although I run the English down, I, I do have a lot of English friends and they're, they're tolerable. Tolerable. That's, that's a word that we'll use. With the exception of me. Who is an interesting character in his own right. The, the Great Barrier Reef equates to about 70 million football pitches. Uh, we're, we're talking about a very large, it's like 333,000 kilometres squared. It's big. Bigger than Malaysia, bigger than Germany, bigger than Japan. It's a big place, bigger than Italy. Um, so the, the reef itself only... T- covers about 70% of Queensland, maybe a little bit less, 70% of Queensland's coastline. So it's a big area, right? And actually it's much less than that. It's closer to 56 or something because if you take the other side of the Cape uh, into that. Um, so, yeah, I could understand why people from places like England or Scotland or anywhere in Europe travel outside of their own country. But we also, in Queensland itself, we've got like four different ecosystems, five if you include the marine space. Uh, and then if you go into the marine spaces, there are some... Um, kind of terrains that people will be able to access. So you leave southeast Queensland, you travel up to tropical north Queensland, or you can go inland to the Cape, to the you know, savannah tablelands. You can travel the world um, in, in Australia, in, in Queensland alone, because we're the size of many countries. Uh, without doubt, just so that people at home know, um, Australia during summertime has got, is, has got five different time zones just keep that in mind. Five, five time zones. Which, is, and by the way, one of them is South <laughs> Australia, which is half an hour different to to anywhere else. They they've decided to make their time a half hour different I, than I, anywhere else, which I is insane. South Australia and the Northern Territory, Northern right. Territory as well. Yeah, yeah, we do the same. Which yeah. makes a lot of sense if you have just sit for a moment and ponder the Northern Territory. That it's almost the size of Queensland by landmass, and it only has two hundred thirty thousand people. Nuts. I, I found it mental. And then, like, I, obviously, when I came to Australia, like, you know, it's big. It, you know, it's huge. But then knowing it's huge and experiencing the size of it is mind blowing. Um, and I could not get my head around. And then a big thing for me was this is where where I've left home and it's very cliche, but when you go traveling, you do change. You, I'm not the Dave I was when I left home. So when I went home for Christmas, the bushfires were happening. And the, the amount of land that the bushfires had wiped out was immense. And, and I remember going home and I was speaking to some of my family friends uh, and family members and I was speaking to my partners, Elisa's family members and that. And they'd be like, oh, those bushfires are bad. And I was like, yeah, do you know how bad they are? Like they didn't, con- they couldn't conceive like 
they couldn't grasp how immense it was. I was like, yeah, nah, like if you placed that fire on top of England, London would have been wiped out, which is like, it's shocking to know how many ecosystems or whatever would have been wiped out. A billion out. animals, man. Yeah. A billion. Yeah. But yeah, there but- is something I'd like you to maybe shed light on because I was, and again, not from this country, but I'm, I'm still learning four years on, but is that the natural someone once told me that was the natural process to the australian landscape like a lot of the trees have oils and so therefore this has happened before humans even came along it's not it's not the fact that the bushfires are happening that's a natural process the problem is humans because we've decided to colonize and now we decide oh well the bushfires are a problem for us but is that is that correct well, only some humans decided to colonise. <laughs> uh, others choose to live harmoniously with other people, but we'll, we'll leave that to the side. Um, <laughs> this is what I want you to win. It's a good question, Dave. And actually, if you if you were to take the bushfires of south, southern Australia and place it on England, it would be much larger, larger than the, the greater area of London. It's quite a, It was a very big space. And as JJ mentioned, close to a billion, if not more, uh, animals were lost in those fires. Uh, so we could spend an entire episode on bushfire management. And yes, the Australian landscape um, naturally burns. We know that because of the oils, as you mentioned, in trees, things like um, eucalyptuses and pandanus. If you've ever seen a pandanus tree catch on fire, it combusts. It, it explodes and all the leaves shoot everywhere and spread the fire quite quickly. Um, but there's a few things to point out. And, and, and they, they do that. They do that when the fire's still quite a way away, don't they? Yeah. All it takes is the smallest bit and... It, it'll combust and shoot it further down. That's why it's spread, particularly in, in a good wind. The, but there's a few, there's a few things to point out. Um, Indigenous Australians, as I mentioned, have been isolated and, and living um, with some kind of uh, formalised and complex relationship with the landscapes and in areas that they they kind of occupied. Um, and in that, the use of fire as a tool to manage the landscape was critical for both ecosystem health and for the prosperity of those particular communities. And let me dive into that just quickly. Uh, In New South Wales, for example, the New South Wales state government uh, many years ago made a decision to halt the practices of savannah burning. That is a practice where Indigenous hunters will go out, burn the underlying um, bushes underneath the major trees, seasonal and in controlled manner to move animals Firstly, so that we can create a, a, a wall, essentially, that pushes all the, the, the kangaroo and whatever else into a region where the hunters could catch them much easier. Um, but also, so by doing so, created uh, an opportunity for new sprout um, and very often more native trees and the grasses would burn out. Uh, therefore, there was a management tool put in place. When you stop doing that and the, the kind of the fuel load, that is gr- grasses, small trees, shrubs that sit underneath the very large trees, um, built up. If you let them build up over decades, you're literally creating a pile of timber, putting fuel on it and saying, uh, here's a match, which is what occurred not just in New South Wales, it occurred in Victoria. Um, this doesn't occur in Northern Australia. So fire management systems, rangers who go out and conduct savannah burning activities still exist in the North uh, and they're quite regular. Uh, and in fact, um, being quite entrepreneurial, Indigenous ranger groups utilise that practice of savannah burning as a way of generating carbon credits because it has a 
positive carbon footprint. Uh, and then they sell those carbon credits to big businesses like Qantas and the banks and mining companies uh, to offset their carbon emissions. So it, it, it is a, it's not only good for, for climate change uh, mitigation, but it's also good for biodiversity management and uh, it creates a safer landscape for people to live in and around. Just, just so full of insane amounts of knowledge. Like, I hope that anyone listening right now can hear the difference between when Dave, myself, and Isaac talk nonsense, and when Dwayne speaks, it's a it's a different leak altogether. Um, I'm I'm very good at talking nonsense. As well. you, like, you are extremely um, good. <laughs> just, just for context, though, I remember when when uh, the the fires in, in New South Wales started. And they were round about the Sydney area. And yeah. I could smell them from my house in the middle of Melbourne at the time. For context, everyone, that's the equivalent of Glasgow to London. 400 yeah. miles and I could smell these fires. These weren't small. They were huge. And it, there was smoke that filled the air 400 miles away from where the fire was. You can see that's them. Like yeah. You can see I remember I remember coming back to the UK and being like, oh, speaking, uh, sorry, coming back to Australia. And I was saying to Lisa, oh, we might have to buy masks or something like that. Because it was, <laughs> there was a lot of people talking about the smoke particles coming into Melbourne. You probably have to buy masks. And so we bought some and they came in really handy three months later when the <laughs> pandemic hit. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll tell you a funny, uh, well, an interesting fact about uh, bushfire management. Those systems have been used so consistently for such a long time in Northern Australia, that there is a particular region where the, where the eagles have mimicked the behaviours of Indigenous rangers or black Indigenous communities when they do the fire management. So when, when the rangers are out, they, they, they start a line. Uh, generally, um, it'll be a central point within a, a particular valley that they know that the fire is going to push out, causing a, a space for animals to get out of the way, but also easier for them to manage. What eagles have been doing in this particular place for thousands of years, so it's told, will fly down, pick up a stick that's on fire, pick it up, fly along and drop it further along the line to support the rangers in spreading the fire line uh, so that they, they can hunt small um, marsupials. Wow. Crazy, right? And I, 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 anyone who wants to double check that, go ahead. Um, you'll, you'll be um, intrigued to, to read about it. And I've seen it in at play. It's it's absolutely incredible. That's not. And you must, have, you must have seen so much, though, Dwayne. You must have seen. You've told me some amazing stories about um, crocodiles that you tried to tell me forty-seven times uh, <laughs> in the one night. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a great story. I've not heard this story. What is it? Tell me for the forty-eighth time. <laughs> <laughs> well, which which one? I mean, there's so many. Um, I, I, well, touching on that, I was having this conversation the other day, quite literally, and I find it crazy with the animal kingdom how what you've just talked about there, eagles picking up a stick on fire, taking it to set fire. I find it crazy how fish know where to go to reproduce, yet they've never been there in their lives, how uh, birds know where to migrate to, yet they've never... Turtles return Turtles to the same... Turtles return to sea, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, Whales migrate uh, the same paths that pull up in the sea. Yeah, I mean, it's quite incredible. Which, which kind of, on that point, brings us back full loop to my next thing that I don't really understand, and I know 
hopefully someone of your stature and knowledge can shed light on coral the reproduction of coral now i heard this fact not too long ago which and i don't know if i'm going to get this right which blew my mind that coral is it correct that coral on the same day across the world will release its spores is that correct no no, so so something five, about scientists five, can't figure it out or something. Coral does something very unique with their yeah. reproduction. They can't figure it out. Yeah, yeah. So we, we well, here's a, here's a fun fact for you. Coral spawning, the activity you're referring to, was first researched here on Magnetic Island in Jeffrey Bay. Uh, so that's a nice little fun fact for you by the Australian oh, Institute of American Science many, many years ago. Um, <clears throat> and for those of you who uh, don't know who, Australian Marine Sciences, that's the, the leading marine research facility for Australia, uh, a partner of the Marine Park Authority in the management of the reef, um, you know, a very important partnership, and you know, we can, can talk further about that. But uh, Dave, we don't fully understand what triggers coral spawning. There's a lot of things that might, it might be, the change in seasons, the change in water temperature. Um, they've got a watch and a calendar. I, I don't know. But <laughs> they don't all start on the same day. They... It's, it's, but it, it is a instant system. So, sport. Let's say, let's say coral sport. Let, a stadium. Someone starts a wave. The whole stadium follows suit in unison. That's essentially what happens. Not, not if you're me. Hey, <laughs> no one, no one follows. It's because of the one arm doesn't go up. And uh, like, oh, he's no. just having a stroke. Like, <laughs> it's starting. Oh, who knows? Um, go with a strong arm, which is very strong, by the way. Don't play mercy with it. Oh, I, I, I haven't told you this yet. I don't think I've told you this yet, Dave. I'll keep the, the guy's name out of it. Um, I dislocated someone's shoulder recently playing it. That's ridiculous. Actually. I like, took it out of socket. Yeah, yeah. If oh, anyone doesn't know what the game Mercy is, it's where you get your hand and put it into another person's hand and you're allowed to do whatever you want with that hand to make them say the word Mercy. Uh, I've never been beaten and honestly, I don't I, think I, I ever I, will be. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dave, while we're anyway, on coral... back to the reef. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Dave, while we're on coral, I, I do want to... You made a comment earlier about, uh, the, you know, the coral's not doing very well, or it looks, looks unwell. Uh, yeah. That, that contrary to public opinion is not the case. So every... Really? So the long-term monitoring program for the Great Barrier Reef, which is run by Ames, the guys that I spoke to you about, conduct surveys every couple of years to understand the impact. So if we look at the last two years, uh, the recent survey, which was done 2021, uh, sorry, 2020, 2021, they looked at, you know, they took a sample of about 130 reefs in most parts. Um, in, in the north, for example, hard coral cover increased by about 27%. 26% in the middle, about 39% in the southern parts of the reef. Bleaching was on a gradual decline and the severity of that ble bleaching was trending downwards as well. Uh, so, in fact, the reef is not dying at the rate that people think it is. Um, it definitely is, un is un under pressure in some parts of the reef, but in other parts we're seeing an increase in coral. And that itself will make people want to go... If, if that was me <clears> and someone said that to me, I'd go... Prove it. Take me out there. I want to see it. Yeah, um, yeah. You pay. And, you, know, you pay for the trick. That's the right. That's the right skepticism <laughs> to have because you know at the end of the day, I, I am a representative of the Australian government. I do sit on government boards that manage the reef. Um, but but I am a a, a traditional owner. I've got invested um, principal rights in the reef's health. 
if the reef declines or dies, my spiritual relationship and our people's spiritual relationship to that place also dies. So it, it is definitely, um, you know, something I'm passionate and uh, serious about managing. And I'm not saying by any stretch that the reef is not at risk because climate change is the biggest risk to the Great Barrier Reef. If water temperatures continue to rise, if acidification continues to rise, if sediment uh, is increased inside the reef and crown starfish start blowing out of unnatural numbers, but the reef is at real real risk. But I think um, to, 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 to simplify it too much and to say that it's you know, unhealthy is, is probably the wrong uh, and not very useful language. It is fascinating. It's, it's interesting speaking to someone like yourself because we are, we only, your main source of information will be what you see on the TV or what <clears> you see on the internet, which again, what you've just said is more proof that whatever you watch on TV or whatever you read is not always necessarily the truth. What I'm fascinated to see is you were saying that they were taking samples and stuff like that. Was there any, because we saw these things in during the lockdowns and all that, you saw dolphins returning to the Venice rivers in Italy and all that. Was there any sort of study shown that during the pandemics and was it affected? Was there any sort of impact or anything like that in the, or was it? Is it's that vast that it's negative, negative, but I can't even say negligible. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I got you, mate. Look, the 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 next Great Barrier Outlook report will probably capture that uh, those trends. Those it's hard for me to say because we we haven't. Although there has been continuous surveys of different, by the way, the long-term reporting and monitoring of the Great Barrier Reef is a very big and complex machine. Uh, it's worth we've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on it in the last, uh, you know, six years, um, and we'll continue to spend a lot of money on it. But for me to be able to retain all that information is just not possible. And I don't don't have any in my notes here or any of my briefings, so I couldn't tell you. But I would suggest to that the next outlook report would probably indicate that there are different um, sections of the ecosystem that have done. When, when can we expect that to? <clears throat> uh, well, probably towards the end of next year, I well, believe. There you go. There's, there's a scoop for everyone. A three-schooner <laughs> scoop. It just makes logical sense that uh, a, a, redu- you know, a reduced presence of humans will provide an opportunity for the environment to thrive and you know humans are the worst we're really bad but also i I would also say um suggest that maybe the the interactions with the reef has not declined because of covid um people who live in uh kind of coastline towns dwelling cities who have a boat during covid may have taken the opportunity whilst not working to interact with the reef Mm. um and I, i can say without giving too much information um that the Marine Park Authority's compliance activities would suggest that the the visitorship of the reef has increased, um, and with that, so have potentially um, the rate of uh, breaches of Marine Park Act uh, and, and you know laws and regulations. Oh, really? Not great. Without saying too much. No. In other words, Dave, you'll get a bill soon. Okay, and I have it, and I'm scared of the water. I'm getting a bill just for being on Magnetic <laughs> Island. That's the fact. <laughs> Which, speaking, coming back to Magnetic Island, it is a very beautiful island. It is not the largest island in Australia, as I earlier claimed, um, but it is a very beautiful island, as most 
what was it like growing up on Magnetic Island for you? What is it? Well, good question. I mean, let's just talk about the island for a second. Um, the island's got 27 beaches. All of beach, Most of those beaches have inshore reef. 80% of the island is a national park with walking tracks. Um, we have a pretty high density of young backpackers for most of my teenage years. So horrible, really. Um, <laughs> horrible place. <laughs> yeah, the, the, in I all seriousness. I, mean, I have to deal with them when they're drunk, so I agree. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I've never drunk it with backpackers, so I wouldn't know anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, in all seriousness, the, the island was um, a reasonably um, safe, isolated place with um, a community that really looked out for each other and a whole bunch of kids whose parents were friends. So all of my mum's mates had children around the same age and we, we would all hang out together. You, you could leave the house in the morning on uh, Saturday morning, come back Sunday night, as long as your mother knew where you were sleeping, you were, were fine. Um, it was a very safe place. But you, you also um, were with kind of removed, sheltered from, um, you know, social or fashionable trends that occurred in big cities. No one really gives a shit. The, the school brought in a shoe policy when I was in grade seven. Prior to that, you didn't really have to wear shoes or a hat. <laughs> how, how, how old are you in grade seven? Just uh, 12. <laughs> how, how old are you now, Dwayne? Uh, 23. What? Plus, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Is that actually how old you are? How old no, are you? No, it's not. He hangs around with Ashley Nichols. He's older than me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Dave. I'm actually Ash's carer. Yeah, yeah. He needs uh, a 30, lot of care I'm, as well. I'm 32, mate. 32. 32. Uh, you've achieved a lot in your 32 years, mate. Um, just because we're, we're getting to, running up to that hour mark now. Um, and that's where we try and keep the podcast at because, well, usually Isaac tells us that, but he's not here this week, so yeah, he can yeah, get to. to. I mean, it's up to you if you want to carry on, but it is very. I, I would, I would prefer to um, do this again at another time, but, but we've mentioned one board that you're on. What are the other boards that you're on? Uh, so the so there's two others that we haven't really spoken about. One of them is um, the Indigenous Advisory Committee. Um, my function as the chair of that committee is to provide advice to the federal minister and the federal cabinet on the delivery of the Environmental Protection Biodiversity Conservation Act um, and to assure that Indigenous values are captured in the delivery of that act. Uh, that act looks at nearly everything you can think of when it comes to the protection of the environment. It's essentially the tool that the EPA would use in the UK or in the US. Um, uh, my function is to to chair that committee and provide that advice to the cabinet. The other, which is reasonably new and it's, a, it's an elected position, is as a councillor of the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies. Um, there are many equivalent examples in the UK. I don't, I don't know all of them off by heart, but in Australia, there's a big organisation called CSIRO. Um, CSIRO and the, the Australian Institute of Marine Science and AIMS are the three, ma sorry, and uh, IATSIS are the three major research institutes. So uh, IATSIS, the one in which I sit on, looks at uh, ethical research, languages, culture, um, human remains, repatriation of remains. Uh, it, it's essentially... Wait a, minute, wait a minute, let's go, wait a minute. What do you mean by human remains? Well, so the, the UK in all their glory and the US actually in the last kind of, kind of 100 years, uh, the museums thought it was a good idea to take 
indigenous remains away from Australia oh. to place in museums uh, in the UK and uh, and England. Uh, sorry, I, I, in actual remain, actual human remains, actual, actual human. display. Are you joking? I didn't know that was a thing. <clears throat> no, so, uh, along with um, you know sacred and uh, like artifacts and sacred tools and things that are of high cultural and spiritual significance to different communities in Australia. So IASIS um, plays a function in advocating for the repatriation of those things to be re- returned to Australia. And does that happen right, often? Did so. it, did it, do they repatriate them? It, it, the, the culture of repatriation has changed. Museums are getting better. Uh, private collections, however, are proving quite difficult. Those private collections of human remains... For sure, yeah. What they're, they're, and and artificial like um, artifacts and items of you know high spiritual significance. The, the dark but it is getting off. better. We are we are having some success, and we we have in the last few years returned quite important items back to Australia. Um, I mean, in, an example would be so last week here on Maggie we found skeletal remains. Oh wow! Um, at Bulger Bay, and the police determined via initial assessments that those remains were. Air, old, so therefore highly likely to be the skeletal remains of our ancestors. There was five bones all up. One of them was a skull and there's a few ribs and a few other bones uh, found on the beach uh, because there's high tides and there's erosion. Back in the day, the museums would have taken that, put it in the museum and it would stay there and they would make a decision about what they want to do with it. Uh, They'd either put it on exchange for something that they thought was more interesting from from overseas or, you know, that's messed up, man. Who's sitting in a museum deciding... that is crazy that the... Oh, well... I mean, we're just, that, that's well, a whole think think about a mummy, though. A mummy's the yeah. same thing, is it not? There's just a business and showing, yeah. It's a mummy is the same thing. And it's, uh, the if, you know, I, I would be always... I would always support whatever local or Indigenous communities who want their spiritual things back. Um, if we were to go to, I don't know, somewhere in the UK and steal a particular old person's remains, I don't know, the former... Uh, prince or something like that. I, I think that the the population would be quite upset with that. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, may he rest in peace. Who? The former prince. Oh, who? Oh, yeah. One of them died recently. I don't care. I'm Scottish. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, but that be that be the equivalent of you stealing. I don't know William Wallace or something for me. I suppose. Correct. I mean, if you if you ever stole. Me- Meghan Markle, I don't think there'd be much complaint about that, to be honest. I do not like Meghan Markle right very much. She's also alive, Dave. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> I, I think the police would have something how, to say. How, how long, man? Yeah. Yeah. How long? How long? Oh, jeez, okay. Louise. Wait, if you're incriminating yourself, you go through with your plans now. It's all out there. Everyone knows. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not even going to edit that out. That is 100 percent your own fault. <laughs> <laughs> if Meg, Meghan Markle went missing, I don't think I'd be on the top of the uh, the hit list. I honest. think you might be now. I think there's, <laughs> there's going to be some algorithm out there. When I'm already texting um, guys with the AFB, <laughs> he's got he's got crap. Uh, blonde frost tips um, tattoo. <laughs> he looks. He, he looks. He looks like a yeah, like a, a, a dollar store Zac Efron. You'll you'll find them. Yeah, missing, <laughs> missing, missing Isaac's been. A, you've been a great addition. So you've <laughs> literally replaced Isaac perfectly. Jump on the bandwagon of Rick um, and Dave. <laughs> we're, we're, getting, we're getting to the to the hour mark now. Um, 
Dwayne, if you so we've asked you a few questions today, and you've said a few things. That you've you've taught us a few things. If you had any advice to anyone coming to Australia for tourism that wants to learn more about your culture, yeah, how would they go about that? Uh, I mean, well, the first thing is come with an open mind and an appetite to actively understand. If if you want to learn more about a culture that spans tens of thousands of years complex in nature but open in the way that we do business, then have a deep dive. Make some effort, have a look online, go to tourism visitor centres, visit uh, Indigenous-owned tourism operators. There are, there are a lot of ways to, to do that, um, but the only way you're going to be able to absorb and truly understand is to come with an open mind and actively to seek it. That is such a, I mean, you're so eloquent. It's beautiful. Like, honestly, I love listening to you speak. You're, you're, you're an absolute delight. And honestly, and one of the most uh, thoughtful and lovely men I've ever met in my whole life. I'm, I'm very happy and proud to call you a friend, Dwayne. Thanks. And, and, and both well. of your checks are in the mail for the, the, the uh, <laughs> Are There Any Germans Left episode. Uh, great exposure to me. Thank you very much. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, we, we, Isaac, Isaac is the uh, the account payer, so we normally just forward things to him. Okay, um, no, so yeah, we'll pass. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, yeah, just send all your bills to him. He's not here to uh, disagree, so I'm sure he'll agree. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, as you said, Isaac's currently um, off on a little tour. He he was in isolation. Um, due to being on a tier one site because of the isolation it meant that he could travel because he'd been in isolation anyway so he went up to where you two guys are wait a minute I'm the only one stuck in this nonsense anymore I've just realised that out of out of all of us everyone it's the free schooners live from Queensland that's what it is now oh, for how Jesus the Louise. table the table has turned now I always Jeez have to Louise. look back on Melbourne with envious eyes, but not now. Mm. So, uh, so, so yeah, yeah he's, he's doing a little tour. He should be back around Christmas time. It's going to be quite a big one for him. Um, Dwayne, when do you think <laughs> you'll be you'll be back? Good question, mate. I, I came up here for a board meeting the first week of June uh, with a bag Ooh. packed three days. And I've been stuck here ever since. Stuck, by the way, on a tropical island in the Great Barrier Reef, exactly. as opposed to being in the, the rioting COVID-ridden uh, Melbourne, although yeah. you've still got better Uber Eats and Uber Eats is a large part of my life as a diamond member of Uber Eats. <laughs> uh, so uh, it won't be too long, mate. Are you, diamond, are, you, are you diamond already? That is outrageous. Diamond. I miss Uber Eats. I, I, was, uh, I was on a boat today, guys. I went on mm-hmm. a boat uh, because now you're allowed, you know, to have picnics and stuff and essentially a little boat that goes up and down the Yarra. I've seen those. They're great. Yeah, yeah we went up $100 it cost. Well, you get on it for an hour. Who you, went on it? Was it you and... Yeah, yeah just me and Yaz. You just drive it yourself. Um, it, was, it was great. couple of beers. I definitely wasn't drinking because I was the captain. Mm. The skipper. Um, skipper. I can't captain. skip. I've only got the one foot that works. So <laughs> the hopper, you can call me. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's great. Um, also, absolutely shameless plug here as well. For anyone that is listening to this, this should come out. Um, feck four hours after we've recorded it um, I've spent the last seven days making a bit of music that is the the most um, the strangest but most uh, exciting thing I've ever done in my life it's not an, an original thing it's a mix and the whole point of the mix is that 
um, no two genres are allowed to go with each other. It's 25 minutes long. There's over over 50 artists in 25 minutes. It's it's a whole thing. It took me a lot of time, and it's going to be out on Friday. Um, if anyone wants to listen to that, I'll, I'll post it on the Skinner's page as well. Um, I'm just, it's not very often I do a, a plug like this. It's just, I put a ton of effort into this. Um, yes, Dave, have you got anything that you would like to say um, or that you've got coming up? I think, no, I think, thank you very much, Dwayne, for coming on. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Obviously, I know you personally, um, but this was the thing with past episodes we got ashley nichols on who you you're good friends with as well unfortunately yeah yeah kara um and we've yeah we it's fascinating getting people that you think you know on the show because when you sit them down and do a formal interview and stuff like that you really actually find out fascinating like i already knew you were a fascinating bloke that's why we wanted to get you on but you find out a lot more and yeah, no, I think it's, I thank you very much for sharing everything you have done with us today. And it's actually been amazing learning a lot more about you. Um, so yeah. My, no, my pleasure, you, Dave. Um, and something for, for other interviews to, to take away from this is drinking a margarita while an interview is a far more enjoyable way to do, do things. And I wonder if the drum will let me on the ABC with a margarita. Yeah. <laughs> I shall give it my best shot. We'll see. We, I'll, try give, get... I'll try and give the three schooners a plunk. Yeah, yeah we we can uh, we could get you on for another one. We could just get blind drunk and see where it goes. Eh? Yeah, so that's that's something <laughs> I actually wanted. I actually wanted to talk to you. Right? I want to do a special episode where we actually get drunk, very drunk, and I mean, like we start drinking at six o'clock at night and we start recording at nine o'clock at night. Like episode, I want to do that. I want to be we are schooners. We have had that one episode where we did get pretty drunk, and I started saying. Get, uh, getting confused between malaria and Malaysia. Yeah, it got, uh, it got racist, didn't it, by accident? <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, there's probably a lot of malaria in Malaysia. So. Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. See, wasn't wrong. Thanks, Dwayne. Anyway, Don't back great. him up, Dwayne, for God's sake. I'm going to have to change his name on Messenger and everything now for yeah. that. Um, well, Dwayne, thank you very much for being with us. Um, you're Once again, I know I've said it already, but you're an absolutely fantastic person to know personally. And, oh, another thing, are you still a single man, Dwayne? I'm, I'm not commenting on my private life on this very oh, Okay, okay, if, but, but if you were a single man, I would say, ladies, you see his <laughs> face now. You've listened to him talk. What are you waiting for? Um, so also, I'll, also, you can get his Instagram link if you go to our uh, Instagram page. Yeah, and I uh, featured him on the on the story. A very sharp. It's okay, we'll make an well. actual post so they can see him nonstop. Are we doing okay. with love hearts? Yeah, yeah, love hearts and everything. <laughs> I know how that da, 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 that little yeah. zoom in thing that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll do that as well. Yeah. Thank you for being here, Dwayne. You're an absolute god of a man. So you are. I love I'm you pleasure. so much. Thank you very much. Um, well, I'll, uh, I'll uh, margarita you later. <laughs> that makes no sense. But okay. Well, it's a goodbye from me. <laughs> uh, just quickly also, uh, if you are listening and you've loved this, we are getting more guests on. So we have a very uh, cool guest. Uh, you'd love him, Dwayne, by the way. His name's James. He owns a bar in St. Kilda called St. Luja. Um, and well, that's not even the same bar. name as the place. No, it's all. Anyway, uh, he's uh, he does excellent cocktails, and that's the person we're getting on next episode, hopefully oh, as well. Yeah, we're, so. we're doing we're doing a we're doing an interesting thing, aren't we? Yeah, we can probably you could give us a margarita 
recipes um, because we're going to try and make a cocktail. And he's basically a mixologist, so we're going to try and make a cocktail. Well, um, I know my limitations, Dave, and I'm, I'm more like inclined to take some advice from the guy who's profession. We get you in. Uh, we'll get you in. We can be the I'm first a professional consumer of margaritas, but not a <laughs> <laughs> professional consumer. Uh, um, okay, right. Well, it's a goodbye for me, guys. Thank you very much for listening. And it is a goodbye from me. Thank you very much for listening. Dwayne, would you like to see us out? It's a goodbye from me. Thank you very much for listening. There you go. <laughs> Love you, Dwayne. Thanks for listening, guys. We will Thank see you, you soon. Bye bye.